It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, Donald Trump has retreated to Mar-a-Lago, leaving the nation's capital behind in an absolute frenzy on several fronts, as we will get into here. Uh, what's fascinating is I'm on the list, you know, with many, many other reporters to get uh, the regular statements and announcements from the White House press office, bill signings, statements by the president, statements by the press secretary. And it includes his daily schedule, seven days a week, um, you know, whether he's having meetings, going off to give a speech, uh, going to a rally, whatever the president's doing, they announce it to the press through the email system. Um, and almost every day, with a few exceptions since the election, it's been one line. President Trump has no public event scheduled. So now that he's down in Mar-a-Lago, and look, it's uh, Christmas Eve, and he's certainly entitled to uh, get a little sun and relaxation. Um, there's one sentence it says, as the holiday season approaches, President Trump will continue to work tirelessly for the American people. His schedule includes many meetings and calls. If you detect a note of defensiveness there, it's because of what he has done, especially with the COVID relief bill. And then he's going out of Florida and leaving Congress holding the bag. So it's just interesting the way that is crafted. I've never quite seen a daily schedule announcement quite like that one. Um, meanwhile, Inside Edition thinks the most interesting uh, controversy of this Christmas season is the following. In the last Christmas card of the Trump presidency, the president and first lady pose in matching tuxedos inside the White House. But some say, I love that formulation because you can say anything, right? Some say the shot of Trump looks very similar to an older photo, leading to speculation that it was photoshopped. And by the way, like, who cares if it was photoshopped? It's still an actual picture of Donald Trump, right? Do these people know that there's something called an auto pen? And when a lot of people get letters signed by the president, he doesn't actually sit down with a quill and sign it, but his signature is done automatically. So his picture may or may not be photoshopped. I really think we have a hell of a lot of things more important to worry about than the Christmas card. Uh, and since tomorrow is Christmas, I want to take an opportunity to now wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a good holiday weekend. Um, I will be off from the podcast, so I'll do my usual plug that I do tomorrow today, which is I uh, hope you'll get a chance to watch Media Buzz Sunday morning 11 Eastern. We're going to have so much news. I mean, I've already got far more that can fill an hour between uh, the COVID bill, the defense bill being vetoed, um, the uh, wave of pardons and all of that, and a lot more is going to happen. You, you know he's not just going to be uh, sitting down there um, watching the surf hit the sand. Uh, you know, wherever a president goes, he is working. So we'll have a lot more to deal with on Media Buzz. Um, so I do want to get to, you know, everybody had their hair on fire uh, when the president announced or the White House officially announced those 20 pardons and commutations, uh, the ones that went to George Papadopoulos, the three uh, former Republican members of Congress, all of whom were convicted of criminal offenses, the Blackwater Guards, uh, who were convicted after many years of a massacre of Iraqi civilians. I mean, a lot of serious stuff. Well, yesterday came round two. You know, president's always feeding the news cycle, right? So the new pardons, just in case you're busy, you know, decorating your tree or something, uh, are the people of the following. Paul Manafort, his 2016 campaign chairman, who I got to know a little bit uh, during his relatively brief tenure uh, on candidate Trump's first campaign. And, and I, I was surprised that Manafort wasn't in the first round uh, because it was inevitable that he was going to be pardoned. More on that in a moment. Roger Stone, whose sentence has already been commuted, gets a full pardon. Uh, Stone, the longtime 
informal advisor, friend, uh, self-described dirty trickster. And another one on the list, Charles Kushner. That rain rings a bell. He's Jared's dad. And Jared's dad served uh, two years in prison. It's about a decade and a half ago. We'll get into more details on that as well. So it now looks like kind of like Oprah out with the live audience. Well, you get a pardon and you get a pardon. I mean, it seems like President Trump is determined to pardon just about anybody in his political circle. Uh, I mean, look, there are some sort of, quote, ordinary people on these lists, uh, people who might be among the more traditional pardons. And I do want to say, as I do whenever this subject comes up, every modern president just about has had controversies. I mean, Bill Clinton pardoned his half-brother Roger uh, on drug offenses. I mean, every modern president uh, has pardoned uh, associates, uh, political friends, political allies, big donors, and it's usually the most controversial radioactive pardons always come at the end of the term. I do have to say, I think Donald Trump is topping all of them, both in the sheer volume, because I don't think this is over. And secondly, in terms of... um, you know, the fact that some of these people, because they were caught up in the Russian investigation, have special kind of ties to the president. And I'll get to that. Uh, and also just, you know, three different Republican members of Congress, all of whom broke the law in pretty serious ways. I talked about this yesterday, whether it was insider trading, whether it was misusing campaign funds, whether it was fraud and money laundering. I'm talking here about Steve Stockman, Chris Collins, Duncan Hunter. Yesterday, the president also pardoned Duncan Hunter's wife, who I guess got caught up in that investigation as well. So it's, this is, is uh, the magnitude of this is so stunning that Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska said, this is rotten to the core. As you know, it is very unusual for Republican lawmakers to directly take on the president unless they're retiring. And Ben Sass is not retiring. In fact, he was just elected, reelected, I should say, to another term. So in terms of Paul Manafort, first of all, Manafort was convicted in a couple of different cases, and it had mostly to do with uh, Ukraine and other parts of the former Soviet Union. Manafort was a consultant. Uh, It had to do with Manafort making a huge amount of money, but there was nothing that he was convicted of that had anything to do with Donald Trump. Yes, he had been his former campaign chairman, and yes, he got caught up in the Russian investigation and that it was the Mueller operation that brought these charges. So now you have some liberal pundits saying, well, you know, the reason that the president is giving uh, the, the, this pardon to Manafort and to a lesser extent to Roger Stone is they, they know stuff. They could be part of the cover-up. This ensures that they won't say anything publicly against President Trump, assuming they have anything to say. But it is fair to point out that uh, back in 2017, uh, Trump's lawyer at the time, John Dowd, one of many personal lawyers he has cycled through, um, was reported to have broached the topic of pardons with Manafort's lawyers. This is 2017. And Manafort at the time was considering whether to cooperate with prosecutors. And so for a long time, Manafort did not cooperate. He, he weathered the indictments. He ultimately ended up pleading guilty and doing some limited cooperation. Uh, but President Trump has, was very um, praiseworthy of Manafort for not rolling over and, you know, doing what Michael Cohen and others did. In other words, trading whatever he had in exchange, hopefully, for maybe less severe charges or a more lenient sentence. Manafort ended up with seven and a half years sentence in prison. He's been out recently because of COVID, but, you know, he's still under this sentence. It's a multi-million dollar financial fraud scheme. Um, 
And so naturally, you know, it, all of this has led to a relitigation of the Mueller investigation. So by, by pardoning people like George Papadopoulos um, and Roger Stone and now Paul Manafort, the president basically is trying to wipe out everything that Mueller did in the investigation, which he always called a witch hunt. And by the way, despite the fact that it did not, Mueller did not recommend any criminal charges and found no evidence of what we would call collusion, although collusion is not necessarily a strict legal charge, and the president himself is trying to sort of discredit the last remnants of that investigation. So it's fair, I think, for people who say, look, Mueller uncovered some pretty sleazy stuff. It just didn't lead to anything or, you know, particularly in the area of attempted obstruction of justice, but he never recommended any criminal charges. That doesn't mean that the entire investigation was illegitimate, but it does, it did allow the president to spend the last couple of years saying this was completely concocted witch hunt, uh, hoax, the Russia hoax he often talks about. In Stone's case, you know, he was convicted of lying to Congress, witness tampering, obstructing the House inquiry into possible Trump coordination with Russia and his dealings with WikiLeaks. Now we get to Charles Kushner. Uh, In 2004, he pleaded guilty to 16 counts of tax evasion uh, and a single count of retaliating against a federal witness and another count of lying to the FEC. And this became, I mean, look, let's just be clear here. There is absolutely positively no question that the reason that Charles Kushner is getting this pardon now, he served two years in prison, he was released back in 2006, is because his son Jared married Ivanka and is a a senior White House official. It's not to say Jared lobbied for this, but Jared, anybody who knows anything about the Kushner family knows that Charles Kushner's imprisonment and ultimate guilty pleas was a very uh, jarring event a very traumatic event, as it would be in any family, for the Kushner family and for Jared Kushner himself. And by the way, uh, Chris Christie, who was then a U.S. attorney in New Jersey, prosecuted the case, and he said in an interview last year that Charles Kushner had committed a loathsome and disgusting crime. Here's part of what he's referring to, and I bring this up only because Charles Kushner is accepting this pardon. Um, Kushner acknowledged in the guilty plea that he had arranged to have a prostitute seduce his brother-in-law in in a motel room in New Jersey where video cameras had been installed. And Kushner then had the videotape sent to his sister. This is part of some huge family drama. So uh, I don't really have to elaborate on that. I'll let Chris Christie do the talking. I always felt that when Chris Christie was replaced as the... um, head of the first Trump transition team, well, first and only, I should say. Um, I didn't have any doubt that, that was Jared's doing, and that this was payback uh, for the prosecution. Um, and going back to Manafort, you know, Trump repeatedly described him sympathetically. He said, I feel very badly for Paul Manafort. Uh, he thought Manafort was being railroaded uh, by the Mueller operation. Manafort was released early in May and given home confinement, like a lot of people in this era of COVID-19. And by the way, Manafort could still be prosecuted in a state case in New York. I think it was ruled to be double jeopardy. If he's gotten a federal pardon, that could be resurrected. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. All right, let's move on now to the whole COVID legislation situation, which was memorably described in a headline in Politico as a cluster F. And really, can you think of a better word than cluster F? I can't. I can't think of one. Because And I want to just revisit this briefly. So Trump has all these objections 
to the coronavirus relief package, this $900 billion bill that after months and months of arduous negotiations, including Trump's own Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, endless talks with Nancy Pelosi, both sides gave a lot and they came up with this deal. $600 stimulus checks, which most economists say was way too small to give the economy a boost and to help the families, many of whom uh, are out of work or struggling. Um, a lot of money, uh, a new wave of federal loans that can be forgiven to small businesses. Forgiven, that is, if you hire people or retain those jobs. Um, and uh, a special unemployment insurance which of $300 a week, which is running out. And by the way, one of the reasons that members of Congress are upset is this special insurance, uh, unemployment insurance, which affects 12 million people, expires the day after Christmas. So it expires this Saturday. And no matter what Congress done, and even if this bill can be somehow resurrected, it's clearly going to delay this money to these people who will be out of work, most of them through no fault of their own. We're in the middle of a pandemic. By the way, I look at the numbers every day, and I saw that yesterday's numbers, you know, we're, we're averaging around 200,000 new cases a day, 3,400 deaths uh, yesterday. And I think that comes pretty close to matching, if, if not at least approaching, the all-time record. Uh, December has already turned out to be the worst month. And a lot of it has to do with all the travel taking place on Thanksgiving. And I don't want to rain on anybody's Christmas parade, but the TSA is reporting that a million people a day have been traveling in this run-up to Christmas Day to, uh, tomorrow. Uh, and clearly in January, those numbers are going to spike again. I, everybody's got to make their own decisions about what's safe, about seeing family. I understand the frustration. But there's no question that it's not going to help. Uh, the surging pandemic during this winter season. Anyway, so all of this, there was an attempt to help the economy. So when Trump comes out and says, Look, I think the check should be $2,000, not $600, the Democrats, of course, love it. They agree with him. But why did he wait until both houses had passed the bills? Why? Why not, why not weigh in earlier? If, imagine how betrayed the Republicans feel. You know, they take the hit, they do this compromise. Mitch McConnell didn't even want stimulus checks. Looking here at a story in the Washington Post, during his time in office, Trump has regularly had outbursts over legislation that advisors previously signaled he would endorse, prompting scrambles to coax him into ultimately signing a bill. That's happened many, many times. Sometimes the bill has been changed, and sometimes, you know, despite his misgivings, he, the, the, there's an intervention uh, and he signs the bill. But in the last throes of his presidency, many of the guardrails around Trump have been removed through departures, leaving the tempestuous president to his own devices. Um, New York Times describes this as the president driving a wedge through the Republican Party, drawing harsh criticism from House Republicans, get to that in a second, and threatening the delivery of these unemployment checks. Also a reprieve on evictions. You know, if you can't pay the rent, there had been a ban that's going to expire on people getting kicked out. Now, obviously, ultimately, there's got to be some sort of resolution of that. But at least you want people kicked out of their homes and apartments in the Christmas season? I don't. Most people don't. Certainly most politicians don't. Um, but here's the thing. The coronavirus relief bill passed by veto-proof margins. So in theory, the House and Senate could reconvene and pass it over the president's veto. But the president has another option. He hasn't said he's going to veto it. Because it's so late in the congressional session, he can do nothing. He can just not sign it. 
you get a 10-day period to do that. I guess it's called a pocket veto. And on January 3rd, when that period expires, no, on January 3rd, when we're still in that period, a new Congress comes in and all legislation of the current two-year Congress automatically is dead. It expires. And so now the next Congress could come back and say, okay, we're going to resurrect the bill. We're going to pass it exactly as it was. But you've got different lawmakers. Some may not want to go along. And obviously that would also take precious time. So the president could kill this bill by doing nothing because it is so late in the congressional session. Well, who's to blame for that? Congress should have passed this months ago. Um, it's not clear, uh, says the Times, that the president would actually veto this. He has he told both uh, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy that he's not sure what he's going to do. But given how late it is in the 116th Congress, I was, the, I was trying to remember which session this was, even refusing to sign it could ensure that the bill dies just next week, January 3rd, uh, or a little bit more than a week from now. Um, and then you get to the, a similar situation with the defense bill. Now, this is in a different category for this reason. Here, the president has said repeatedly that he was going to veto this $740 billion bill. So Congress can't say, hey, you blindsided us. We had no idea. We had no clue. Um, but he's doing it for what I would call relatively minor provisions, given you're talking about the entire Pentagon budget for the next, what is it, uh, about nine months. You're also talking about a 3% pay raise for soldiers around the world, American soldiers and service men and women. Um, so that enables people on the other side to say, you know, he's, he's cutting military pay. Obviously, something will be worked out if it's another stupid stopgap spending bill. The reason the president is doing this, and he's made no bones about it, are two. One is largely symbolic. The bill contains language that would rename some of the military bases that are named for Confederate figures, um, people who fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War. Uh, there's a lot of support for renaming those bills. Is it a huge deal that affects you know the entire world? No, it's the symbolism of not honoring people who seceded from the United States of America uh, beginning in 1861. But the other one has to do with what's called Section 230, which is legal immunity for Facebook, Twitter, uh, any giant tech company that posts third-party stuff. And there's a very strong sentiment in Congress to at least modify this Section 230. But it isn't central to the national security of the United States. President Trump says it is. But, you know, you're talking about a $740 billion bill to fund all military operations, all of our um, servicemen and women around the world. And I have to say, I mean, this is one of the things both parties do this, presidents of both parties do this, which is you could separate out this legal immunity for social media giants, Silicon Valley giants, and just have a debate over that. But you have more leverage when it's attached to a bill or part of a bill that has a lot of other stuff that a lot of people want. Everybody plays this game, the Christmas tree game, particularly at the end of the year. You, If you have one thing that you uh, want to get through, but it's controversial or you don't have a clear majority, you just attach it to some big spending bill. And then it becomes, well, are you going to prevent you know, money from going to health clinics in the HHS bill? Do you really want to see this bill go down when it contains money for schools in the education funding bill? Do you really want to deprive our servicemen and women, as in this case, of their pay raises and a fight over Twitter and Facebook? But that's that's what Trump has chosen to do. But again... 
here he clearly signaled it. It wasn't a last-minute, overtime, Hail Mary kind of thing. So on this conference call, and all this got leaked immediately, uh, with the House GOP, Kevin McCarthy himself, House Minority Leader, conceded the bill has been tainted by the president's remarks. Republican Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina, I don't know if we recover from this. Uh, we will have a hell of a time getting this out of people's head. Republican of Nebraska, Don Bacon, said Trump threw House Republicans under the bus. Some reporter called him up, and he didn't back off from his comments. Um, so also by doing this, the president is derailing some of his own priorities. For example, the big spending bill that got attached to the coronavirus relief bill, so it became one big, huge I was going to use a very uh, naughty word there. A big bill, let's just say. A very, very, very huge bill. Um, Funding for the Southwest border wall, which obviously is something the Biden administration is not going to pursue. Funding for the Pentagon. An agreement to ban surprise medical bills that come out of nowhere. The administration had urged lawmakers to pass that. So whenever you hold up a big omnibus bill, there's some things in there you like. There's some things in there the opposition likes. So what this does is it puts Republicans, Kevin McCarthy and his troops, Mitch McConnell and his troops, um, in the position of having to choose between their party's leadership in Congress and a president known to go after anybody who breaks with him. So, for example, John Thune, senator of South Dakota, told reporters the other day that any effort um, to kill the stimulus, uh, to, to overturn the election, you know, to do the thing on January 6th where you get um, a couple of Republican lawmakers to challenge the election results, which is, you know, clearly uh, President Trump's overriding priority right now, would go down like a shot dog. Well, after he said that, Trump tweeted, South Dakota doesn't like weakness. He will be primaried in 2022, political career over. So, you know, these Republican lawmakers, they're in a box. They don't want to piss off Trump. They don't want to piss off their leaders. They don't want to piss off their constituents, particularly those who are waiting uh, for this coronavirus relief. And by the way, um, this has become a factor in the Georgia runoffs. Uh, The two Republican senators there, uh, appointed Senator Kelly Loeffler and uh, Senator David Perdue, Uh, They are now talking about having to talk about why this bill is not going through. Do they want larger stimulus checks? You know, if those two seats flip in a special election where there's already been uh, two special elections, I should say, where there's already been record early voting because of mail-in balloting, Joe Biden's Democrats would take control of the Senate. I'm not predicting that will happen, but this is certainly a complication. Really interesting. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. A couple of other things before we sign off here. Sarah Isker, she had worked, as I recall, in 2016 for Carly Fiorina's presidential campaign. And then uh, she joined the Trump administration. And I know her a little bit um, when she was briefly out of politics. She seemed to be trying to become a pundit. I had her on Media Buzz uh, at least two or three times. Very smart woman. Uh, a Republican, but an independent-minded Republican, I guess I would say. But then she joined the Trump administration. She became the top uh, spokeswoman for Jeff Sessions as Attorney General. And today, she has an op-ed in the Washington Post. And she reveals a few things that I find interesting. 
And it's, it's part of a larger effort of people who worked in the Trump administration and thought they could do some good, now in these final days trying to separate themselves from, to distance themselves from the Trump administration because they know this will always be kind of an indelible part of their resume. So she leads off the piece by saying, as far as I know, no spokesperson for DOJ has ever been interviewed for his or her job by the President of the United States. But there I was in the Oval Office in February 2017. Jeff Sessions had offered me a job weeks earlier, but I had been blocked by the White House. As I stood in front of the Resolute desk, the President opened the folder with a list of all the negative things I had said on TV about him when she was working for Carly. Smart, but a bad person morally, he asked aloud. Well, obviously she got the job. And she says this, we believe that good and competent people should uh, work in our government and that conservatism's traditional goals, individual liberty, limited government, could still thrive in a Trump administration. I believed that in 2017. There's always a tendency to see oneself as a white knight. But she said, well, too many of us imagined we were saving the country. In reality, we were just non-factors. And even those who prevented real harm, we only masked the absurdity of the Trump administration some voters, from voters. So she's coming out and doing this sort of tell-all thing in this op-ed. And she said, those of us who stood in the way of what the White House wanted to do became targets. At least four times, someone from the White House told department officials at DOJ to fire me. The first time, the White House press secretary tried to replace me with a conservative commentator who would go on to work for a, quote, news organization funded and controlled by the Russian government. Later, an assistant to President Trump called to reprimand me for releasing a statement from Jeff Sessions affirming the department would not be, quote, improperly influenced by political considerations. The White House staffer, she doesn't name the person. My boss is the president of the United States, and he can say or tweet whatever he wants. Yes, that's true, I replied, and my guy is the attorney general, and if your boss doesn't like the statement, he can fire us. I did not quit, Sarah says, though maybe I should have. It wasn't though there was any doubt about how things would end. The day after Jeff Sessions left the Department of Justice, Sarah Esker was fired. She now works for CNN uh, as a contributor and does whatever other things that she's doing. So that's her op-ed piece in the Post. Meanwhile, another former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, who did pretty well for himself for a businessman who was a political unknown and got a lot of favorable notice, he's just filed papers to run for mayor of New York City, as a Democrat, of course. Um, now, he didn't, I don't know, do a news conference or give any interviews. Uh, I, guess, I mean, usually when you file the papers, you want to get some attention. Um, and I don't have a, any real way of knowing whether he has a shot at winning this election or not. The election is next year. Bill de Blasio is term limited. But he does, you know, he was the guy who said, let's give $1,000 to every American. But he impressed a lot of people with his, you know, focus on the math. And, you know, he does have a good business career. Uh, he dropped out after Iowa New Hampshire. Um, there are more than a dozen candidates. These include, if you're not from New York, you probably don't know them, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, uh, City Controller Scott Stringer, Maya Wiley, who was an MSNBC contributor, still uh, appears a lot on MS, civil rights activist and a lawyer who had worked for de Blasio. Uh, but one advantage Andrew Yang would have is, you know, he's a nationally known figure. But, you know, city politics can be really tough. The primary, I guess, is next June, so it's not forever away, and we'll see how much attention he gets. And finally, just to end on a lighter note, it looks like Sex in the City is coming back, but without one of its four female stars. According to reports, the HBO series, which ran for six seasons, is being lined up for a limited revival that will air exclusively on this HBO Max. Man, they're, they're pulling out all the stops to get you to subscribe to HBO Max. Um, I don't know 
do you want to see Sex and the City? It's been 16 years after that show came to an end. 10 years since the release of the second of two movies, Sex and the City 2. But according to these reports, one of them on the New York Post, page 6, while Sarah Jessica Parker, the star of the series, will be coming back, uh, along with the others, Cynthia Nixon, who, by the way, ran for governor of New York against Andrew Cuomo, uh, trying to uh, outflank him from the left, got clobbered. Uh, but she became better known for her brief political career, and Kristen Davis. But who would not be returning is Kim Cattrall, uh, who played the Samantha character on page six. And the reason is she hates Sarah Jessica Parker, and Sarah Jessica Parker doesn't like her. And even with, the, you know, I'm, I'm sure it would be a nice payday for all of them. I don't know. It's kind of like talking about, you know, three of the four Beatles coming back when, when uh, they were alive. Um, how do you have sex in the city? even as a streaming series without Kim Cattrall. But nevertheless, you know, personal rivalries and feuds get into this. We'll see if this thing actually happens. Kim Cattrall said, well, it'll be a very different show because now we have social media and now we have this and that, and I bet it would get a lot of attention. Uh, But they've been talking about this for a while. Let me take this opportunity again to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Have a great holiday weekend. If you'd like to subscribe, you know all the places you could do it. Any place you can get podcasts. Apple iTunes is just one of many. Check out Media Buzz Sunday morning. I'll be taking the day off. Have a great weekend. And let's see. I think I'll do a podcast on Monday. Uh, may take a couple days off, off for the New Year's. It's that time of year. But if the world is blowing up and I got stuff I got to talk about, you'll be the first to know. Have a great weekend once again. And see you soon with Nora Busby. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.